0: G'day, and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live,
1: right here on Faith FM.
2: G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman, and I'm the Aussie Pastor, coming to you live from our studios in Northwest Sydney, out at Richmond, actually on a pretty good day. Sydney day although it's struggling to be warm but it's not
3: too bad it's not raining bit cloudy outside but it's a good day to be alive and we're praising God hunty yeah it's also good to be here with your listeners thank you for joining us this afternoon how are you Ah, I'm very very blessed now (laughs) again what seems to happen I get a mad scramble some more technology needs a software upgrade right at the start of our program
2: well you never had a much time today as you normally have, so you are under a bit of pressure. We've been away for a couple of weeks. We have uh, four thousand and twenty kilometres filming for a program we've got coming up, which 13 will be programs? Yep, they'll be online as well as on Channel Seven Two. Yep. Is that right?
3: That's right, and maybe also Netflix. <laughs> Why are you saying that? Have you got news I'll, that I don't have? Yeah, I do. Ah, <laughs> uh, what is it? Can it's, you share with no, our? No, it's only a maybe at this point. So,
2: ah, oh, so we shouldn't have said. Maybe I, I, I like to say maybe's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll be on NBC in the United States and the BBC. Maybe and... I'll
3: start the clock. What do you reckon? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a good way to turn the conversation. <laughs> Welcome, Andrew Hunt. We're glad to have you on board too. Um, today in history is an interesting day, but not a lot of news. Um, 1770. I reckon this is a big one. James Cook claimed Australia for Britain. That oh. happened on this day in 1770, yeah. August 22, which is actually the 240, 34th day of the year. James Cook claimed Australia for Britain. Uh, I reckon that was a good thing because I think one of the things that's made Australia such a great country, and it is a great country, Andrew Hunt, it's a beauty, is the fact that uh, we had British colonisation. Now, it wasn't all good news. Uh, I mean, I, I come from Irish descent, They got a very hard time coming out here as convicts, and I I know some of our Indigenous people suffered. But all in all, it's been a good thing, and and perhaps we've got much to thank James Cook for. That happened in 1770 on this day, August the 22nd. In 1851, First America's Cup won by the yacht, America. Do you know who they... Uh, sailed against it, Hunty? Uh, English, I think. Yeah, it was. It was against yeah. the English. In fact, the first few America's Cups were sailed against the English. How many years did it take for the Aussies to take it off the Americans?
3: It took us, what, 1980? 100... Oh, it was about
2: 100 and something years. Yes. Can't remember. But yes. it was a long time. And it was the, Ameri- uh, it was, the Americans that held it all that time. Then the Aussies got it. Then the Kiwis come in late. Remember that? Yes. We've already won the America's That's Cup. That's right. When it was a non-event, I'll better be careful. <laughs> I might get into trouble here. But the Kiwis come in and keep winning it. And, but you're too late, boys, from over the ditch. We'd already done it, lost yep. interest well,
3: and moved that's on. That's it. We broke the 100-plus year drought.
2: Yeah, yeah, we moved on. Yes. Uh, in 1894, Mahatma Gandhi, who was India's um, champion of freedom... He begins his struggle on this day in 1894. He began his struggle against Britain for equality. Uh, In 1902, the Cadillac Motor uh, Company was formed, Mm. and I still got no video countdown timer, Hunter. Just letting you know. No, I don't, mate. There's no
3: videos playing. Uh, I don't have a countdown timer. On the bottom of your screen? Ah, yes, I do. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I do. I like that. You know, we've been away. (laughs) We have. (laughs) It's going to take us a little while to get You know, the, hey, still make the Cadillac. You know, the Cadillacs still make fantastic, high-quality cars. Are
2: they the best American-made car, the they're, luxury they're up, car? They're definitely
3: up there. Because you
2: watch the movies. I've never been in a Cadillac. I've never driven a Cadillac. But you watch the movies, and they say they're beauties.
3: True? I've, when I go to the US, and I get a chance I hire them because they're fun to drive. Big V8 engines. Soft, soft suspension. <laughs> they feel good? Well, if you like to cruise the freeways like I do. What do they, they like going around corners? You yeah, know, they're a ship. They're no good? Well, not, not, well, I buy, I hire their grandpa car, the, the big V8. Well, you're a grandpa, grandpa that's car, why. Because I like to be comfortable but fast.
2: Well, you are a grandpa.
3: <laughs> I am a, I are I like a grandpa. Are they good on fuel economy uh, Cadillacs? Oh, I'm assuming they are because most American cars now are good on fuel. Except for the Jeep, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, my chip gets 8.5. You can now testify. I saw it doing
2: 11 or 12 on our last yeah, trip. Up
3: and down the snowy mountains. <laughs> I, I saw it doing
2: 11 or 12 on the flat outside you Melbourne. You saw it doing 10. 1941, Siege of Leningrad begins. Have you ever heard of oh, that? What's that? It was a massive battle outside the city of Leningrad uh, in World War II, Uh that took a million and a half... It, 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 well, let me... Before I give the, the casualty figures, it took... Two and a half years to fight between the Nazis and the Russians, World War Two. Uh there were a million and a half people, citizens of Leningrad, who died in that siege. Now that's not soldiers. A million and a half. Think of that people. Mm. On top of that, there was a half a million up to six hundred thousand soldiers on the Russian side who died, and the same on the German, between half a million, six hundred. So you're talking about a million and a half plus one point two. You're talking about Headed towards three million people died in that terrible two-and-a-half-year battle. But the Russians won it, and it was instrumental in winning World War II. Hmm. Um, births. Frederick II, Alexa of Saxony, was born in 1412. The reason that matters is because he was actually the grandfather. Listen to this for yeah, a, yeah. This is how desperate I was to get some births today. <laughs> he was the grandson of the grandfather of Frederick III, the Elector of Saxony. So he's a grandfather. You got uh-huh. it? Got it. Yeah. Who was a friend of Martin Luther? Oh, <laughs> wow. That's a fair... That's point. a reach. Yeah, that's, that's a reach. Really good reach. <laughs> Don't know much about him yeah. either. But he was Frederick, the Elector of Saxony's grandfather. Now, Frederick, the Elector of Saxony, as I said, he's a guy who helped Martin Luther big time and instrumental in the Protestant Reformation, which is a big deal to me. 1934, Norman Swatchkop. Huh. You know who
3: he is? The Shampoo Company.
2: Oh, hunty, no, you've that, just shamed yourself on national radio. The general who oh, the led general. the US Army into battle in the Gulf War, <laughs> Andrew Hunt. <laughs> uh, has an interesting life. Well, he was uh, the general, as I said, who, who led the US and the Allied forces against uh, Saddam Hussein. He was born on this day, 1934, died 2012. Matt Wallander. Hmm, Philander. You know who he is? Formula One racing car driver. <laughs> I might have made a mistake at the beginning. <laughs> I thought he was a tennis player. Well, maybe he was.
3: <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, well, I'm not doing too well today, so. I'm sure he was a tennis player. He <laughs> okay. was born this day in 1963. Paul Coleman. Oh, I know Paul who Coleman. Who is he? He's a top Christian singer, top bloke, great singer, good mate of mine. He was born this day in 1967. You know him. I do. Actually, you know
2: some famous people. I've
3: toured. I've done sound for. I've toured with. Him. Who is the most famous people you person you know? Well, if you if you're going to go degrees of separation, I can reach pretty far. Who's the most
2: famous person you know? Drop drop a name, and uh, then I'll drop I've mine. Met, I've met John Howard. Okay, so he's. I think you're above me. I um, haven't met John Howard. I met Dick Smith. Haven't met Dick Smith. Um, I don't know. I've met a heap of cool people. The best I can do is Ben Carson. Yeah, and met you've ben. met him, met Ben. Yep. uh Ben Carson was. I don't know Ben Carson well, and if you saw a picture of me, you'd say who are you? <laughs> but he did come to my church one day to preach. He was. He worked in Donald Trump's. Yeah, um, housing commissioner, I think. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well that that's this day in history, Hunty. Would you like to open with a prayer,
3: brother? I would. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for all of our listeners. Lord, I pray multiple blessings on everyone who's tuned in this afternoon, Lord. We also pray for a special blessing from my mate Lloyd as he opens the Bible and gives us a Bible study. And Lord, I pray that you give us a good afternoon as we lift you high in our community. In your precious name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor not supposed to on
2: Faith there's, of them. There's not supposed to be a sting. I'm talking over the top of it. There's I can not, hear you talking. There's not supposed to be a sting because Steve Harvey, a good friend of ours. No, not really. We don't know him. Very fam- know him. Very yeah. famous from the United States of America. Does the Price is Right and some of these other big shows. Also a believer. And he does
3: this welcome to Jesus Christ. mm Like he's coming out as a guest on stage. It's pretty cool. Yeah, listen to it.
4: If you will just imagine with me if I had the pleasure of bringing out Christ, this is just how I would do it. It ain't got to be the way you do it. You might not think it's just right, but this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honour to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. He has, out of a manger in Bethlehem, Jerusalem by way of heaven. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 5,000 hungry souls with two fish, five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine. No special effects, no camera tricks. Even before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of all kings. Ruler of the universe, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, the bright and the moaning star. Some say he's the Rose of Sharon, and some say he's the Prince of Peace. Get up on your feet, put your hands together, and show your love for the Second Coming.
2: Um, it's called Is Anything Too Hard For God by the Lindsays, who are one of my favourite groups at the moment. Hey, news today, Hunty. Yes. They're saying that cities are too hot. That's all right, they are. The five things that they can do, and I want to get, I'm just going to move through this pretty quick. Okay. What they can do to make cities feel a little bit cooler, plant trees in greener spaces.
3: That's the most important is it? Yep, because people can sit under them in the shade, they give oxygen, they bring moisture out of the ground, which they perspire into the air and make it moist and cool. Do you know how much? Trees are great. Do you know how much cooler it can be sitting
2: under a tree in a, on a hot day? It's a lot. 25 degrees. Wow. 25 degrees cooler. What about this one? This is, <laughs> as soon as I read this one, I thought of you spraying mist.
3: Oh, yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hunty was out so at you Al- st- Alice. <laughs> he was out at Alice Spring one night, and he was very, very hot with his wife, and he was spraying mist over them. And it was just, for me, a nightmare scenario. Spraying cold water over yourself in the middle of the night.
3: It's that hot. I still, yes. I still do that. I've got a mist bottle full of water I'll, I spray into the air if I need to cool down in summer. Yeah, okay. Uh, it works. Works fine. Let me tell you, this actually started in China during the during the pandemic. They actually uh, realised that the pollution was so high, people were sick from the, not only the pandemic but from the pollution. So they started spraying mist into the air to capture the pollution and bring it down to the ground,
2: and, and it made it cool. And everyone
3: realised it was nice and cool, so they they use that now. As I don't a think we're doing that defense. in Australia. Rollout awnings. Not. Roll out awnings. Yes, roll out awning.
2: Anything, any comment on that or not?
3: Nothing? <laughs> yeah, I do know. Um, a lot of these long time ago built cities, they're close together of concrete and stone. They really suck up the heat and they keep the heat rolling. I keep the heat um, for a long time. They're now putting awnings between the buildings. Good idea. So the pedestrians can wander about and it works really well. Painting roofs and pavements white? Okay, there's new reflective uh, paints that can reflect between 85 and nearly 99 or 98% of the sun's heat rays and UV rays. If you paint those on your roof, it equates to approximately a 10 kilowatt air conditioner.
2: Actually, just paint your roof white. Yes. Even without the special. I cannot understand why in Australia, a hot, hot, a devil hot country, Mm -hmm, isn't mm -hmm, it? Very hot. Why it is in Australia, we have these dark roofs. That's right. Every roof you look at is dark. So I made sure when I did the roof out at the farm that I made it light. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, it, it it really does help it does ah uh, man that, they should almost bring that in as a law to pay. My, i drive a white car for the same reason uh, i i drive a white car because it sells better <laughs> <laughs> um returning to traditional building techniques I think what they mean by that is having plenty of open windows, yeah, <laughs> uh, plenty, plenty of air, plenty of room to move. Yep. Hey, the yep. second one, is it fair petrol price fail where the opposition's blaming the Prime Minister for the price of petrol? That's not entirely
3: fair, is it? Oh, I think the bigger, the bigger question is how is it that Anthony Albanese got to be Prime Minister for the sake of the hard done by and the workers and when asked the other day how much petrol is, he didn't know. No, I can't understand that. No, he says, oh, I've got chauffeur cars and people fill my well, car up. Well, that's true. That's true. That doesn't matter. You know what's on everyone's mind right now? The cost of electricity, the cost of petrol and the cost of rent. These are the three things that are causing people to walk to work, leave their car in the garage and turn off their heaters and air conditioners. These are the things he should have uppermost in his mind and not letting the petrol companies run wild with their fluctuating petrol prices. I
2: think the problem with the petrol car companies, the cartels, may be a little bit more than just Anthony Albanese. I, I'm going to give you a pass mark for that, Anthony. <laughs> I understand. I'm, I'm almost in rant mode here. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do, I can tell you the price of petrol. The other day I went to fill up $2.45 a litre. I only put 17 litres in. That cost me the best part of $40. Not happy. Running around almost on empty. Mm. You know that, Hunty, because you gave my boy a driving lesson this morning. By the way, if you've, got, if you've got kids that need uh, teaching how to drive, <laughs> Hunty's your man. Yeah, a little skill, a little gift for that. I think this is the second one of my children. You've Well, it's the third one. Third, three out of four. That's right. Uh, so far. You failed with the older son. He still hasn't got his I life. I didn't fail. He'd lost interest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting that down to a fail. And the last one, Woolworth Security not working real well where they've got these cameras. That... That's unfair. T- tell us. <laughs> That's
3: unfair. So I shouldn't say it's not Look, working real well? It's not working real, but I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of these self-service checkouts because they're they're glitchy and bumpy and they don't, they don't suit me at all. Well, I'm not a fan of them either. But?
2: You know why, before you go on? Yes. Because I've got to do the work.
3: I'm happy to do the work to save the money. I'd rather not.
2: I'd rather sit there and let the lady at the checkout do it.
3: So what Woolies has done is put a couple of cameras up in the roof, look what's in your basket. And so they've got cameras spying on you what's in your basket. And when you don't put all the things through the scanner that's in your basket, it rings an alarm. And yep. calls security and, they, and blocks you from paying and blocks you from leaving. But that's nothing compared to what's coming. We're going to go into turnstiles to do our self-shopping, and we're going to actually be locked in a prison until we've paid. You will not be able to even push the exit button. We'll be locked in a turnstile. I'll just vault over the top. of the
2: truth is I'm not worried about stuff like that because I'm, I've never, ever stolen a thing in my entire life from Woolworths or any shop and I don't intend to. And I think it's designed to try and bring our, our prices down, Hunter, because they're losing billions of dollars a year in theft. And I think mm. that's really, really sad. And if, if you're one of those people who's stealing from Woolworths, well, stop. Because someone's got to pay for it, and that's you, the one who's thieving, and me. Just not a good, not a good way to go, is it? Indeed um, not. This guy, Hunty, as we come to the end of our news section, Dr. Jim Bockholtz. I came across this the other day, and I'll tell you what, it lit me up.
0: Every denomination that goes astray, goes astray at this point. Every seminary that goes astray, goes astray at this point. Every church that goes astray, goes astray at this point. Every denomination, every seminary, and every church that is strong in the grace of God is strong in being anchored upon sola scriptura. It is non-negotiable. We're not just dogmatic about this, we're bulldogmatic about this.
5: I'm sorry.
6: me for i'm sure
2: Sing and sheltered in the arms of God. You know they're actually one of the biggest country bands in America? Did not know that. You never heard of the Gatlin Brothers? Yeah, but I didn't know they were that big. Uh, Oak Ridge Boys. Yeah, really big. Awesome. Up there with the Oak Ridge Boys, the Gatlin Brothers. Trying to think of a couple of those other um, bands that play over there. You mean
3: Christian, Christian country? No, 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 regular So you Garth Brooks and yeah, yeah, yeah up yeah. there with them, is? Right
2: up there with yeah. them. Yeah, big, big group. Cool. Um, Harold Harker, have we got you on the phone there? We got a connection, Hunty?
7: Yes, I'm here Lloyd
2: Good, good, I can't, oh, can I see him today?
7: Yes, what a great idea
2: <laughs> It's okay, don't worry, let's leave it like this Because I can see the countdown on this anyway, Hunty, so that's alright How are you Harold?
7: I'm doing well Lloyd
2: That's good, that's very good um, We're going to look at a good guy today, I like this fella, uh, John Newton um, We've We've done him once before but we decided to go back and revisit him Because his story is one of the most inspiring Well I think it is, what do you reckon?
7: It is. He was a bad guy who became good and a mighty person for God.
2: Man, when he became good, he became good too. Um, tell us about when and where he was born.
7: Well, he was born in London in 1725.
2: So he comes from a big family or a small family?
7: No, John Newton was the only child. His father he, uh, and his mother, he was the only son and the only child in that
2: family. That, that's unusual in those days, isn't it? Because they'd usually have large families, often losing a lot of children before they grew yeah. up from the diseases and the viruses and the, the plagues that ran those days. That's right. Uh, what did his father do? Well, his
7: father was a sea captain, so he would have been away a long time too.
2: Does that mean he would have been well paid, you know, a sea captain? Was that a big job back then? It
7: was a big job. It was, yeah.
2: Yeah, and his mother was a, was a humble woman. What religion did she uh, practice?
7: Well, she was a dissenter. In other words, she didn't like the Church of England, and she was a Puritan, and so she was a simple Christian who believed to worship simply. Puritans, Protestant,
2: uh, what did they believe? Was it basic? Well, the,
7: the, Protest, the Puritans were in the late 16th and the 17th centuries, uh, big big name was Oliver Cromwell mm-hmm. in that time, and they simply wanted a simple form of worship and to eliminate all the thoughts of Roman Catholic worship from how they worship God.
2: Okay. Did she bring him up, a Puritan? Did she bring him up in Christ? Did she bring him up religious?
7: Yes, she did. She taught him to read the Scripture and to memorise The hymns and the catechisms and so on So she was a a strong Christian And brought him up that way
2: Now she dies fairly early
7: Is that right? Yes, he was just seven years old When she died And that would have been a massive Incident in his life So what did John then do? Young boy Well the young boy just a few years later His father takes him on Five sea voyages so he can learn seamanship.
2: He would have been a cabin boy, I guess, on those trips. Yeah. His yeah. father remarries and he has a stepmother. Did he have a good relationship with her, and, and how, how did that go?
7: Well, it wasn't a relationship. His stepmother let him just do what he wanted to do, and so he was often in lots and lots of trouble.
2: So that was the opposite to his real mum who'd passed away.
7: Right. Ex- exactly right.
2: Was he a Christian as a young man, or was that taking it too far?
7: Well, there was the times he said, yes, I'll be a Christian, and then he got into the pleasures of the world. He would pray and then even write a diary about, it, but then he'd go and do the other things. So he alternated in this area.
2: What did his father set him up to do?
7: Well, his father said, being a sea captain, he, uh, when he was retired, he said, John... You can go and be a slave overseer in Jamaica. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, he was supposed to go to Jamaica. I like this part of the story. <laughs> what happened?
7: Well, he fell in love with a Mary, Mary Catlett. She came from Kent. That's near the the water. And he fell head over heels in love with this one. And he missed his ship going to Jamaica.
2: I think God might have been in this. But, but beside that... This is a good love story, isn't it, Harold? Sure is. It's a real love story, and it's a, it's a love story of a lifetime. We'll come back to it in a minute. So he misses his ship. He doesn't go to Jamaica to become a slave overseer, which, looking back on it from our day, we'd say it was a great thing. What does he then become?
7: He becomes a common sailor, so he would be on ships sailing around the world.
2: What life did he live as a
7: sailor? Well, sailors were known for it. And he joined them, smoking, swearing, immoral. He liked the flesh pots of all the ports. And so he really wasn't a Christian at all while he was a sailor.
2: So as a young man, he's living it up. He did. Um, What happened in 1744?
7: Well, he'd come home and then he had a little time when he said, "Oh, I better get close to God. But in 1744, it was the 1st of March. And in those days, they always wanted sailors to go on the warships and they press-ganged him. They just grabbed these young fellows and marched them on and they're all of a sudden, they're a sailor on a warship.
2: So he's forced into the Navy, in a sense.
7: That's right. Um,
2: how are things going with Mary? Was she still hanging around? Well,
7: he jumped ship to be close to her. <laughs> Again. He loved her and he missed his first ship. And this time, he jumps off the Navy ship, but he gets caught, and he's dragged back, and he's flogged with a cat-o'-nine-tails.
2: So you're saying he had to do his service? He did. So what sort of ships was he working on as time progressed?
7: A slave ship. And so he knew all about slavery and these slaves that were down underneath.
2: Yeah, and if you have a look at the history of those slave ships, they were pretty... Horrendous, awful thing. In fact, I don't think, Harold, we can really imagine what it was like.
7: True.
2: Yeah. Um, what awakened him to Jesus at about this time?
7: Well, I guess sailors wanted to do things at different times, and one of them is reading books. He picked up a book by Thomas A. Kempis. It's The Imitation of Christ. And that really shook him and said, No, I've got to be closer to Christ. I need to be a Christian.
2: Okay um, Would you say Is it too much to say He was a Christian now Or do you think this is The beginning of his walk With Jesus
7: Well it was But he'd been Alternating all his life And I think there's Another time he alternates Back to his old ways
2: Yeah so he's, he's still back and forth a little bit, but he's on these slave, slave ships. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's in his heart and starting to work on him. What, what did he do for the slaves, which was unusual? Now, this, you might look back and say, well, that's not much, but it, it, it's, it's a sign that things are changing in his life.
7: Well, he looks at these slaves, he sees their pitiful condition, and he starts to pray with them and for them.
2: Okay, so he's changing even, if not as fast as we might have liked. What did he do uh, when he quit the slave ships? Because he didn't stay slaving forever.
7: No, he'd married Mary in 1750, which means he would have been 25. Yep. Then he became a tide surveyor in Liverpool. So he was measuring in the harbour all the tides and so on.
2: Do you think he, he got out of the slave ships because of his... Efforts to follow Christ and the Holy Spirit starting to move him a bit, or do you, do you think it was just to beef his wife, or, or we don't know?
7: I think it was both, but Mary would have had a big influence on him. So he becomes friends with someone who became
2: very powerful and very influential. Who was that?
7: George Whitfield was the great preacher of England, along with George Wesley, uh, John Wesley, and uh, he became so close to this guy. He even tried to emulate him and become a preacher.
2: He says George Whitfield was the greatest preacher he ever heard.
7: That's right. In fact, Newton said, I don't know who's the second best preacher, but I know who's the best. Mm. That's George Whitfield.
2: So he's now got aspirations to be a preacher, but he's also a hymn writer. He has, yes, mu- just... he has music in him. What famous
7: hymn did he write? Well, he was out at Olney. I've been to his little church where yep. he was, he became the pastor there and he wrote hymns. He published them only hymns and one of them is the world famous hymn, Amazing Grace.
2: Mm. I, I heard Wintley Phipps sing it once and he talked about how he believes the, the tune for Amazing Grace came off the slave ships that John Newton used to work on.
7: Right, yes.
2: And there is no doubt that as he's become a Christian and he's become a pastor that he, he's deeply impacted by his life, his past life of sin. He feels and senses his unworthiness and he writes this beautiful song. And if you, if you've never heard Amazing Grace, get online, Google it and listen to it. It is one of the all time greatest hymns ever written by a once slave captain. Uh, did he help free the slaves in England?
7: Yes, he became a friend of William Wilberforce. Maybe we should talk about him again, but that was a push to finish slavery, and he was certainly a voice in that area.
2: I'd love to go back and visit Wilberforce's life sometime, actually. Um, He became the Prime Minister, Wilberforce, correct?
7: Oh, he was friends of Pitt, the oh, Prime Pitt,
2: Minister. Oh, Pitt, the Prime Minister. So there was Pitt, who was the Prime Minister, there was Wilberforce and Newton, who were friends, but those three were instrumental in bringing slavery to an end in England. Correct. And they did it long before the United States did too, which is worth noticing. His wife dies, and that's a tragedy, true?
7: Yes, she dies in 1790, and so he writes what were known as letters to a wife, talking about his love, of the life who'd been with him all these years.
2: Did he keep preaching after she died?
7: A little bit, but he got plagued with poor health and failing eyesight and uh, he probably preached for five or ten years, but he died in 1807, which was 17 years after his wife died.
2: So he lasted a fair fair distance. How
7: old was he when he died? He He, he would have been uh, 82.
2: So that's a long, long life in those days.
7: It sure was. What was written
2: over his grave? I found this really interesting.
7: Well, you know, John Newton wrote what should be on his grave, and this is what he wrote. Mm. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long laboured to destroy
2: That's fantastic epitaph on your grave, isn't it?
7: That's a great story of a life of a man who became a stalwart for God.
2: Uh, just in conclusion, when you look back on his life, what do you think we learned from it, Harold?
7: Well, it doesn't pay to, to alternate. Once you decide on God, go for him. Be his, totally.
2: Yeah. He came across eventually, though, didn't he?
7: He did, and that's what he was. Fantastic, Harold. Thank you for your story
2: today. Of a tremendous man in history. God bless you. and We'll see you next week. Sure
3: will. God yeah, bye bless. bye. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
2: Should have played Amazing Grace after this. I, have played Amazing I didn't Grace. think about it. Didn't think about it. Not planning properly. Getting back into it after a couple of weeks away. Um, Greater Vision, one of my favourite groups. This is a new song. We never played this before. I like it. For all he's done. And the reason I chose it, Hunty, is because when you look at John Newton's life, it was about grace, it was about forgiveness, it was about how God forgave a dirty old slave sea captain, Hmm. made something very special of him, a preacher who then went out and freed the slaves. And if God can do that for him... He can do it for you, and thus this song, beautiful song from greater vision for all he's done.)
0: To see the sun I can't help but think about the Lord And all the things He's done He meets my every need You know He's been so good to me And I can't help but praise the Lord For all
6: He's done
0: Praise.
2: He's a good God, and uh, he—he, yeah, it is. I, I found that yesterday when I was looking for music for this program. Um, good tune, moves pretty well, talks about how wonderful Jesus is and for all he's done. You know what he has done? What, What's the major thing, Andrew, that Jesus has done for you?
3: Well, I mean, I have to say peace all the time because my life is so peaceful, having having knowledge that I'm saved, i got an afterlife, that God loves me. Um, I guess, I guess, grace—the fact that He's forgiven me for all of the That's naughty things me. that I've done as
2: well—that's it for me. I, I'm John. <laughs> okay. I'm John Newton. <laughs> I, I think when you look back on your life, yep, and you see the failures, there's so many of them, and the pitfalls, and the yep. way you've let yep. Him down. Yep. He always sticks around you, Jesus. He never lets you go, and He's there to forgive you and give you what you just said. Peace. Mm. You can't buy that, can you? you? Can't. This sermon. Is one I preached just, this, yeah, yeah, just a few days ago. Yep, it is sensitive. It is biblical, and it's one of those sermons you've got to listen to, Huntie, right through, or you might get the wrong idea mm. about. I think I say that mm. in the beginning of it. it. It it's challenging, and I think if you're prepared to listen to it now, you will be challenged. And I'm happy to hear from you. Let me know what you think about it. Um, Hunty, if mm. they wanted to contact me and yes, let send, me know. Yes, send
3: us an email, yep, theaussiepastor at gmail.com.
2: And I'll certainly look at it and may even read it out. Um, it's called, what did I call this sermon, Hunty? Something about the God of the Unmatched Shoes. The Unmatched shoes.
3: shoes, that's right. Yeah, the
2: God of the Unmatched Great Shoes. Title. Yeah, let's see what you think. There was a rich man who wanted to get a painting of the... Um, well, he had a lot of money. He wanted to get a a, a, a a painting of Luke 15. And so he commissioned the painting, and he said, I'm going to spend a lot... He said this to the painter, and this is the prodigal son. I'm not going to preach on the prodigal son. This is just a story. And he said to the painter, I'm paying you a lot of money. I want you to do a good job. Okay. I'll do a good job. And so the painter goes away and he paints this magnificent scene of the prodigal son coming home to the father and the father running to meet the prodigal son. And so the man who had commissioned the painting, the wealthy millionaire, came to have a look at the unveiling. And the painter was very excited to share with him the unveiling of this painting and they unveiled the painting and it was a beautiful large painting and there was a picture of the father running toward the son and the son in his bedraggled clothes coming back to the father but the man who commissioned the painting the millionaire noticed that the painter had painted the father in two different kinds of shoes a blue shoe and a red shoe. And he looked at the painting and he looked at the painter and he said, what on earth have you done? The father has two different coloured shoes, blue and red. He said, I'm not paying for that. And the painter looked at him and said, you're not getting what I'm trying to do. The father, when he saw his son, was in such a rush to get to him They didn't bother what shoes he put on, he just grabbed the nearest two and they weren't matched, put them on and ran for the son. And then the millionaire says, yeah, okay, I get it. You see, the father was in such a rush to get to his son, he wasn't interested in what shoes he was wearing, he just grabbed the nearest two and ran. And I, I share that story at the beginning, of what I'm about to share with you today, because I want you to understand that, and I think you do already, but I want you to understand that Jesus loves you. His love for you is deep. His love for you is full of grace and mercy. And for me, in my life, it seems to have been never ending. God's love for me, for you, never seems to stop. He loves us whether we're good or whether we're bad. He loves us whether we're churchgoers or non-churchgoers. He loves us whether we're following him or whether we're far away. God loves us. And I think it is a little bit like only it's multiplied a little bit like we love our children. I love my kids, whether they're good or bad. I love you, Danae, whether you're good or bad. Often you can be bad where you used to be. I still love you. And God's like that. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Now, I want you to remember that as we get into the study. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and then we're going to read Matthew chapter 24, verse 21 and 22. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 this is Daniel the prophet he's coming to the end of his life to the end of the book and this is what he says in the first verse of this last chapter of this incredible book he says at that time Michael who is Jesus the archangel the head messenger of heaven who stands guard over your nation will arise then there will be a time of anguish some virgins say trouble greater than any since nations first came into existence but at that time every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued so we know this is just before the second coming because you've got that last line you've got the second coming you've got the end of the world Jesus coming to rescue his people and we've got here and it's an interesting passage of scripture these two passages of scripture I spent a lot of time on studying you'll hear me when I preach from time to time bring them up before Jesus comes there'll be time of trouble like the world has never seen that's what Daniel the prophet said he said that uh, 600 years before Jesus, about 2,600 years ago. It was Jesus who has inspired him when he wrote that. He said, before the end of the world, which I believe is the time we live in, there will be a time of trouble like the world has never seen. Jesus backs that up in Matthew chapter 24 verse 21 and 22 in his famous discourse on the Mount of Olives about what it'll be like at the end of time this is what Jesus said so he backs Daniel up he says verse 21 for there'll be greater anguish or trouble at that time let me start again for there'll be greater anguish than at any time since the world began he's saying the same thing and it will never be so great again and then he says this in fact unless that time of calamity is shortened listen to this Not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen one. So Jesus is saying the same thing. Before the end of the world, we're facing a time of trouble like the world has never seen. Stop and think about that for a moment. Time of trouble like the world has never seen. I think there's a problem with this. And here's the problem. Yesterday I went to Lake Macquarie Park, or lost, I went to Macquarie Park Shopping Centre, I got lost, not Lake Macquarie, Macquarie Park and I got lost. I was whinging about it on Facebook. I mean, I got really lost, and the reason I had to go there is because my doctor has kind of gone from where he used to be in Morunga over to that shopping centre, and I think that shopping centre is a nightmare to tell you the truth. Every time I go there, and I've been to the doctor at least five times, every single time I go there, I get lost. I mean, I got lost, and and, and I'm I'm going to the doctor. I actually got some bad news this week. You know, I got a knee replacement. Well, it so happens that the knee replacement that I have is a dud. There's been a recall, can you believe that, of knees? I've been recalled. I've gotta have a revision. I never liked revisions at school, and I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna like the revision on my knee. So I had to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor, I've now got to go to the specialist and sooner or later I'm going to have to have that knee uh, revised. I did the silly thing of looking it up on the internet. You know, I always do that. Liska says, don't Google it, so I Googled it. (laughs) It says that the revision is worse than the real thing, so I'm I'm very uh, unsure about this. But I got lost. In fact, I got so lost that I had to sit down and uh, go to uh, 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 one of the takeaways and get something to eat. Because I knew if I hadn't have, well, I went to Subway. But I knew if I hadn't have, I wouldn't have got out of there, I would have perished. And it seriously took me about an hour to get out of that shopping centre. And I went to those maps, you know, those, those digital maps they have, they don't work. They're actually designed to keep you in the shopping centre longer. And I was really, really in trouble. In the end, I stumbled out and got in the car, and then got lost in the car park. And so, again, I had a very uncomfortable and, believe it or not, frustrating, distressing experience in that shopping centre. I never want to go back there again, but I'll have to. And I don't know how I'm going to find the doctors. I actually go there 40 minutes early so I can find the doctor in there. I don't know whether I've lost my sense of directions or got lost, but I got lost. And people are going to go into this time of trouble as lost as I was in that dastardly shopping centre, more so. People in our world are going into this time of trouble lost. Now this is where I'm going to share some stuff that I want you to stick with me. Because it may be not what you think it is, initially. The Matildas, we want to celebrate, huh? Played wonderfully well. Made Australia so proud. In fact, the last few years, uh, you'll be glad to know my friend from New Zealand. I've been getting into football in a real way. He supports Arsenal, does that man. Poor man. I support Liverpool and Australia and anything they do. And so the Matildas have gone pretty good. In fact, uh, we've just been away, Hunty and I, on a trip recording 13 programs. Praise God, we're about to go on the Channel 7. Hallelujah, amen. Uh, We'll finish those programs in the next month or two, and they'll go on to the television. But I was down in Melbourne camping in my tent. Hunty was in the coffin. I call his car the coffin. He'd sleep in the car every night. In the caravan park, I'd sleep in my tent my father said, why don't you let Hunty in your tent with you? I said, have you ever heard him snore? <laughs> He's never getting in my tent with me ever, no matter what. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm there. Uh, we're there last weekend on the Saturday night when the Matildas played France. And I wasn't watching it to start off with, but every time the Matildas would sc- score a goal, what would happen? Everybody in the whole camp was yelling. I thought, Australia's going not too bad. I, don't, I like it when Australia's going good. I don't like it when they're going bad. So I thought, I'll watch it. And I watched Australia, in the end, defeat France. That so was good. Then when they played the semi-final, I'd, we'd come home. And this is how popular the Matildas in this game was. So I came home and they're playing the uh, semi-final against England, uh, the dastardly enemy. In every sport we play is England. Now if there's one team I would have loved to see us kick out of the World Cup and send home, it would be England. There's a lot of colonial blood inside me too. Send those English home, defeated. And when we scored a goal, and went ahead, one, well, we, we caught up. It was one nil, then we scored. Sam Kerr kicked, as a beautiful goal. One all, and I wasn't watching it, but I heard the entire suburb around me erupt in cheers. Now, the people next door to me, I didn't think were Australians, but they're going for Australia. I mean, I'm surrounded in our area by Indians, praise the Lord, all going for Australia. We want Australia to win. Well, I turned it on just as the English woman scored the second goal and then the third and I hope I didn't jinx them. 13 out of 23 of our Matildas are gay and in lesbian relationships. I know a lot of people don't think that matters, perhaps even the majority of those in the church, but it does. Our culture and the society and the civilization we live here in the West is changing and it matters a whole lot. And for the last month, we've had their lifestyles, not just the football. We've had their lifestyles pushed by the media and by the Matildas themselves, encouraging our daughters and our children to lifestyles that are lost. Forget the football for a moment. The lifestyle is lost, barely a peep from Christians. I did not hear a squeak or warning from the church, from pastors and leaders, from the Christian movement, from members, other than to cheer them on. A culture lost and drowning in sin, people wounded and broken, And hurt. And you will mishear me today if you think I'm condemning because I'm not. And that's going to become clearer in a moment. When I look at what's going on with our Matildas, who I happen to be very proud of, I feel pity and sorrow and empathy and concern and love because so many of them are lost. And I've been lost. And I know what it's like to be without Jesus in my life lost and the church and its people were being sucked into a whirlpool with the world that would take our lives and the eternity of us all and many of us can't see it this is our world now Romans chapter 1 I want you to turn there Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 if you've got your Bibles, go there. Romans 1, 18. This is where I think the Bible and the truth confronts us all. Romans 1, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is the Bible. This is Paul, who was taught by Jesus In the deserts of Arabia, this is Paul the Apostle. Perhaps outside of Jesus, the most preeminent writer in all of Scripture. He's the one who brought the Gospel. Above all others, now the Bible's full of the Gospel, but it's Paul who brought the Gospel front and centre to the message of Christ. Again, I want to remind you, trained by Jesus himself, recognised by the Apostles, by Peter even, as one of, if not the leader of the early Christian church. This is a man inspired by God, this is a man touched by God, this is a man led by God, this is a man who was martyred for God. His joy was to serve the Lord under persecution and hardship. This is Paul the Apostle. Now as a Christian church, if we're going to make a stand on truth, it has to be on the Bible. It's a Bible that defines what is right and wrong in our world. It cuts across every one of our lives. There's not one person I've ever met, including myself, where the Bible doesn't tell me things, tell us things that we might not want to hear. It reveals inside of us what is right and what is wrong and what is sin and what is not. It's the Bible and in these end times, the Christian church... We have to make a stand on what is truth and what isn't in the Bible. Now, I'm not talking about judging others who are in sin because we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. We're all sinners. We can't afford to look at others and judge, but we can afford to look at the world and say, according to the Bible, that is right and that is not. Now, let's go further what Paul has to say here because I think where it gets interesting is where it goes. Verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Paul says there's no excuse Go out into nature And I'm with Paul There is no excuse None at all For a rational thinking mind To deny God Or a creator being It just can't happen It does but it shouldn't Verse 21 Yes they knew God But they wouldn't worship him As God or even give him thanks There's, There's consequences for not worshipping God And acknowledging who he is And they began to think up foolish ideas Of what God was like As a result their minds became dark and confused Claiming to be wise They instead became utter fools And instead of worshipping the glorious ever living God They worshipped idols Made to look like mere people, birds, animals, and reptiles. Paul's talking to his culture, a culture of idol worship. He says, This is foolishness. And then he says this. So God, because they're worshipping idols, because they're not acknowledging God as the Creator, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things, shameful things. That's what Paul says. Their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against their natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Paul is talking straight. And I don't really care what the other theologians say, how they try to explain away this. It is simple. This is Paul the Apostle. This is the Bible. This is God through Paul telling us what is right, what is wrong, what is darkness and what is light. And as we live in this world crashing to its end, the people of God cannot drift from these truths and if we lose our sense of what sin and wrong and darkness is then before we know it we'll become part of that darkness the church the people of God need to know the difference between right and wrong what God accepts and what he doesn't and if you're a follower of Jesus what he accepts and what he doesn't what he calls light and darkness matters We are disciples of the Lord. We claim the Bible. Well, we've got to believe it, amen? We've got to believe it. And we often stop there. But Paul didn't. And we make a mistake when we stop there. Because in the next few verses, I think he might pretty much capture us all at one stage or another in our lives. Verse 28, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarrelling, deception, malicious behaviour and gossip. Here it goes. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand Break their promises, are heartless, have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. This really hits me in the heart here. Yet, they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. What Paul's done here is he's given a description of the days we live in. It's not just what's happening amongst those who are tempted, our brothers and sisters who are tempted with homosexuality, a gay. It's all these other sins, and if you have a look seriously at that list, pretty much all of us are captured in that depiction. Am I not right? In some sense, Paul is saying the world is lost in sin and it's hurting us it's damaging us and it's wounding us I mean that's why God is against sin in God's head sin is serious business is at the heart of the rebellion against him we can't lose these truths as a church as we walk through these end times it hurts sin hurts people That's why God's against it. It's not just rebellion against him. Sin hurts people. It damages people. And these are the people that God made and he loves. Not one of those football players that God does not love tenderly, loves them gently, loves them despite no matter what or where they are in their lives just as he loves you and me. God loves us. Sin matters because it's damaging us and God doesn't want us to be hurt, wounded and damaged. And when we ignore sin in the world and in others, when we ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist, just push it aside, when we see it in others and we ignore it, it matters. But when we ignore it in ourselves, it matters even more. So here we are before the greatest catastrophe in the history of the world. This is where I started off and this is where I bring this home. Daniel says, a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. Jesus, in fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. And so many of us in the church and in the world are lost in sin. And I just want to challenge you for a moment to stop and look at your own life. Are you in a born-again, I'm talking, a fair dinkum, born-again, saved relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you lost in sin? And how do we get through this time of trouble like the world has never seen If we are lost in sin. We're all sinners, but if you're born again in a in a converted relationship with Jesus Christ, you might be a sinner, but you have a saviour, you have an intercessor. And that's what makes it different between you and those in the world. You have a Saviour. His name's Jesus Christ. But without Jesus, without that intercessor, how do we get through this time of trouble? like the world has never seen you don't you'll be lost and you will perish in sin it always challenges me luke 18 verse 8 when jesus says nevertheless when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth So when I see what happened in the last couple of weeks in the football tournament, it just again highlights to me the precarious place our world is in. If you were to put your head up above the parapet, and maybe this is why the church has gone so quiet, and to say anything, even within the love of Christ, they'll try to blow it off because the world is lost in sin and it's becoming hostile now to the call of Jesus to repentance. It's hostile to the Bible's definition of what is right and wrong. This has not been our civilization. I am 59 about to turn 60. I've been here for a while and this is not the world I grew up in. The world has become hostile to God, to his law and to his definitions of what is right and wrong. But there is good news. The God of the unmatched shoes is coming for you. And he's coming for the people in this world. He loves you. And he gives us gentle invitations, often with stern warnings, to follow him. And I think we need to learn to take these gentle invitations with their stern warnings humbly because these warnings and these invitations come to me too. And I'm trying to be humble and to listen to God and to concede to him and to submit. They're intended, these these invitations and these warnings are intended to save us from death and destruction that's coming to this planet. Isaiah 1, come now, said Jesus, let us settle this. I like the King James that says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, come to me, said Jesus, I'll make them white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool. There's a gentle invitation. It doesn't matter to God today where you are. If you have not made a decision for him, if you are lost in sin this morning and you are sitting in this church or you are watching this on television or on one of our platforms, Jesus gives you the invitation. Don't worry about where you are, what you've done and what you're caught up with in caught up with just listen to the invitation the gentle invitation from Jesus to come he says if you come to me here I am Lord I repent Jesus said if you come to me I will make you white as snow I will forgive you I will give you a new life I won't ever remember what you did in the past Jesus said come And when you come to Jesus and you give him your heart, he's going to get inside you and he's going to heal you of all the hurt and the damage and the wounds and the pain of the sin. And he's going to make you a new man or a new woman. Come to me. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool. That's the gentle call. And then here's a stern warning. If you only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen... You will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. Today, we choose life or death. It is that serious. And I'm encouraging you. I plead with you, actually. Choose life. Now, if you choose life, if you choose Jesus, then this will be your experience as you go through a time of trouble like the world has never seen. Thank you, Hunty.
1: So, um, me and my wife were looking at some old home videos recently of our youngest daughter being born. I'm going to show you the video. Not her being born, because <laughs> my wife would be like, You doing what? We got some conflict we need to talk about. So it's a video of our youngest daughter being born. I took this video. The video I'm about to watch is a video I took, but I didn't understand the power of it until I watched the video. So let me set it up for you. She's like two and a half minutes old. Our daughter's two and a half minutes old at the time. And um, they got her under that little chicken warmer at the hospital, the little thing to keep the french fries warm. I don't know what kind of insurance we have, but that's what they got her under. And the nurse is about to clean her up, and she starts to cry. I want you to notice what happens when she hears my voice. Okay, Porter, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, right
6: here. We're doing just fine. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here,
1: right here. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby. Yo, so that was pretty powerful, right? Now, now it's like seven, seven and a half minutes or so later. The nurse is done cleaning her up, and she starts to cry again. I speak up, and she stops crying again. But I want you to notice what happens when I tell her I love her.
6: Portland. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you.
1: I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. So here's the thing. There's going to be times in life where it feels like you're going from conflict to conflict to conflict. Or maybe you're just full of fear because of all the uncertainties right now. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Be still and listen for the Father's voice because he is talking to you. And what he wants you to know is that he's right here. He loves you. All you have to do is open your
2: eyes. At that time Michael the Archangel who stands guard over the nation will arise. Then there'll be time of anguish Greater than any since nations first came into existence. If you know Jesus, as this world collapses, as your finances disappear, He will say to you, I am here, I am with you, you'll be okay. Matthew 24, 21, 22. In fact, unless the time of calamity is short, not a single person will survive. As we go through whatever is ahead of us, losing our homes, God, I am here. I am with you. Losing our jobs, God, I am here. I am with you. If we have food shortages and we struggle to get enough food to eat, I am here, I am with you. If wars break out and ravage our land, God says, I am here, I am with you. If somewhere, somehow, someplace we suffer persecution and have to flee for our lives, as Jesus indicates in Matthew 24, I am here, I am with you. Do you get it? And that's why walking with Jesus matters. That's why it's important to come from him out of the sin-drenched catastrophes of this world. Come to Jesus. And then as this world crashes, and whether you like it or not, I want to invite our musicians to come forward, whether you like it or not, Whether you can see it or not, it will collapse. There is going to be catastrophes. Things are going to get better. Everything will be pulled out from underneath us. As one writer said, it will be like we have no other support left on earth except God, our Father, Daddy. I am here. I am with you. And as fear and anxiety and death sweep the planet, we, the people of God, are in his presence. Our Father, he is here. He is with us. Don't you want that sort of God in your life today? And that's what we've got to share with the lost out there. We don't want to condemn them. We don't want to judge them. We acknowledge what sin is, but we're not condemning them in it. We're calling them from it to enjoy what we have. God, our Father, Abba, Daddy, I am here, I am with you.
3: The Lindsay's, um, I mean, my life, it's my life right over. I mean, I've been through a lot. I've done a lot of naughty things, been forgiven much. I guess it's always comforting to hear songs like that, that they give us the the knowledge that despite everything that we do, through it all, God still loves us. All right, let me give a quick plug, a quick shout-out to Ask the Aussie Pastor. It's not too late. If you'd like to send us a question... We would love to have it, and you can do your questions to us one of two ways. You can text us on 488 80851 or you can email us theaussiepastor at gmail.com. Right, it's now time for Bible study. It is. You need to mute your mic, though. That'll help. <laughs> and you need to get the, the timer going. Well, this thing just started, so we're good. Well, that that started when that song finished. No, it started after my promo. (laughs) Mm. Mm.
2: (laughs) Sometimes people, um, when you hear sermons like that, want to know, well, where is Jesus at? Um, Is it about judgment? Is it about punishment for the sins that we do? You know, I've found, Hunty, that in the last 32 years of ministry, that the one thing we all suffer from at one level or another, in one way or another, is coming to grips with our sexuality, whether it be heterosexual or homosexual. Everybody, at some stage or another, it seems in their lives, has to answer questions and has to come to grips with their sexuality within the framework of the Bible, what the Bible says. And if you want to follow Jesus, submitting. And it, and it does mean submitting to Jesus' way, which is considerably different than the world's and getting more and more different as time comes on, uh, goes on. Um, so I wanted to do this little Bible study, mate, mm-hmm. found in John chapter 8 about the way Jesus deals with people who are going through temptations of a sexual, physical, ma- you know, mm. manner. And I think it's important. mm because it'll give you a vision, it'll give you a glimpse of what Jesus is like. Because but this I'm, story
3: for me is so much more than that. It's so much bigger than that for me.
2: Well, okay, we'll open that up for a oh, second and okay. then I'll go back onto <laughs> the railway track. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah.
3: laughs> no, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll wait to after the Bible study to open, open it up. Yeah.
2: I don't mind if you say something now, mate.
3: No, no, let's, let's get into the Bible text, eh? Sorry, sorry I said that. Sorry to to derail you. (laughs) Don't mind at all. I'm actually interested in what you have to say. It's one of my my favourite stories in the whole of the New Testament. Which is why? Um, Because I I see the Pharisees and the priests and the, the pastors and the clergymen, I see them trying to trip Jesus up all the time in the New Testament.
2: What I see here is them trying to use a girl. Yes. And her moral failings. Yes to destroy Jesus. Yeah, but, trap him, to trap him. But more than that, they're happy to destroy her in the process. Oh, and that's,
3: that's the travesty, isn't it?
2: Well, it's it's a story and it's like one of the best stories in all the Bible. Mm, I agree. Um, John 8, verse 8, if you've got your Bible in your home, you can follow along with us. This is a beauty. I, I'm going to keep... I, I'll guarantee you that we'll return to this story within 12 months. Yeah, I love it. It that's is one of the quintessential most important stories in the
3: Bible. It, it is, it is.
2: And it might have a impact on hunting. It has a An impact on me In fact I was on Facebook the other day And I was talking about this very issue And somebody came at me uh, not not, Not happy with me And said well who are you in the story Because there are three groups of people in this story There's the Pharisees Who go hard to trap Jesus And to destroy this woman Caught in adultery So that's the first group the second one, of course, is Jesus himself, and the third one is a woman. Mm. And they come back at me, and because I was talking about this, what I've just been preaching about. And they said, well, who are you in the story? And, and I, I think they were, they were saying you're judge and jury, which is not how I present this subject no, ever. Never. But who are you? And I said, well, you know who I am? I'm the woman caught in adultery. Not that I'm committing adultery, but that's, that's been my past. Yes, yeah, the sinner. Yeah, the mm. sinner. Mm. And uh, the moral sinner. So this story means a lot to me, honey. So that's why I was interested in hearing from you. Yeah, it means a lot why, to me, too. Yeah, why it means mm-hmm. a lot. Um, yeah. John 8, verse 8. I think you're going to be reading from the NLT. Yes. Just read verse, uh, not 8, verse 8. John chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, I've got to get my glasses,
3: man. <laughs> 1 to 3. Go. Okay. Um, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. So, so you get the scene, hunting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that Jesus
2: has just come back to Jerusalem. Uh, he's been on the Mount of Olives. Remember when we are there on the Mount of Olives? That was special. And to get day. to Jerusalem, you've got to go down the Mount yeah, of through Olives. Through the valley. Through the valley and then back to the other up. Because Jerusalem's built on a mountain. It is. In fact, you and I would be considerably slimmer if we'd lived <laughs> back then. You wouldn't have to go to the pool and I wouldn't have to get on my bike. That's it. Yep. So, so he goes down the mountain, through the valley, which is only to- only a few metres wide, really, back up the mountain, and he's in the Temple Mount, where you and I went to. We mm. went to that Temple Mount. We mountain. did. Amazing. Can I-, can I divert for a moment Why here? Why not? <laughs> this is where Hunty got caught trying to film me.
3: Did I get caught? Oh, that's right. The Temple Mound, Yes. Yeah, you did. The big gold dome, and, and you won too. Well, they were pretty. They are pretty smart to catch on to what we were doing because we were being very subtle. Yeah, I was about a hundred meters away from me yeah, yeah, yeah. and Huntie. Yeah, they, we, not, they par- worked it out. Apparently, not allowed to. Well, you're allowed to film, but you've got to pay. Is that right, Hunty? Ah, uh, yeah. They're just trying to protect their territory. Their their everything. Turf. They don't want us saying bad things about them, and. It, Getting all over the internet. We weren't right? going to do that. No, we were not. So here they are. Jesus in the Temple Mount. Yep. A crowd gathers yep. around. He begins to preach, yep. teach, what happens. He's teaching, yep. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. it. Maybe, maybe, maybe
2: this was a setup.
3: It's a setup. Um, I reckon it was a setup too. Reckon we, we, we can't prove it from no, the scripture. But. You go. I was going to say, it looks like to me the Pharisees actually got this, we'll call her a prostitute maybe. Can we call her that? Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Woman of the night? So, so I, wouldn't, no. I wouldn't say okay. that. Okay, it looks like the Pharisees set this up. They Although knew. we don't know for sure. No, we don't. So they've got a man and a woman together outside of marriage, so that's adultery. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> they've got
2: a man and a woman inside of marriage, so they're not married to each other but they're married. That's why it's adultery. It would be fornication if it was the other. I know it might be technical, but you need to understand the gravity of this sin. They were married.
3: So both of these people were playing up on their partners. Yeah. Okay, so we've got two people, a male and a female, Who are with people, they shouldn't be doing things they shouldn't be doing. But only the female Mm. was dragged
2: before Jesus. And I just want to let you know that she was probably... That was the culture. culture. Probably, she was probably dragged before Jesus naked. So she is being humiliated. Yep. Um, Yep. She
3: is um, being shamed. She'll be scared because she knows the penalty Um, for adultery in that day and age. Which is what? Uh, Which is stunning to death.
2: That's right. Mm. Verse
3: 4. So, um, in a pious voice, I can just hear them saying... Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say?
2: Yeah, so um, the reason they asked Jesus that question, because if Jesus said, Oh, she should be stoned, they'd say, oh, Well, only the Romans can do that, and you're breaking Roman law. If he'd said, well, let her go, they would have said, well, you're not respecting Moses and his
3: law. See, they're trying to trap him. Trapping, looking for a big trap.
2: Yeah, but Jesus is too smart for them. Mm, mm. And I like to say that this woman who's been caught in adultery, she's been humiliated in sexual sin. Mm. The whole world can see it. Yep. She is probably in no more safer place than with Jesus. These mm. men dragged her before mm-hmm, Jesus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to have her stoned and to humiliate Jesus. And I'll tell you what. She was in a safer place. And if you're out there right now and you're caught in sin and you can't escape, go to Jesus. Of there is no safer place than you can be no matter what your sin than Jesus. We've been talking about our homosexual and our lesbian friends. Go to Jesus. Talk about our heterosexual friends who are, who are, who are suffering sexual temptation. Go to Jesus. If you've fallen in these areas, go to Jesus. Um, I, I, I think that's the only solution. Go to Jesus for sexual sin. Mm.
3: What does Jesus do? Let me doing? read verse 6. So the Pharisees were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. Oh, sorry. you need a drink.
2: <clears throat> you want me to read it? Mm, mm. They kept demanding an Thanks. answer mm-hmm. So he stood up again and said Alright But let the one who has never sinned Throw the first stone Then he stooped down again And wrote in the dust What do you reckon he was writing in the dust? We don't know We don't know okay. But we can guess So here's my guess Possibly he was writing their sins Yep their, But we don't know we don't. Whatever it was It was making them feel uncomfortable So he never gave them an answer Sometimes that's the best thing to do In an argument and a dispute Just don't answer he never came there. See, writing in the dust, um, and the woman, naked, brow beaten, humiliated, is watching. Yep. Verse nine, honey. This is where it gets really good. You
3: know, oh, my voice is no, My voice is gone. Can you read it? <laughs> can, this has never happened before in my life. Oh, wait, no, I can read now. Oh, you can. <laughs> yeah, I can read. <laughs> so when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Okay, okay, okay.
2: So whatever he's writing, probably their sins, exposing them to the world, this is how he will defend you. And that's what I like about this story, hunty. Jesus defends the sinner. And we need to get that because we're all sinners. We all fall short of God. Jesus defends us. The accuser, Satan, will come and he will try to take us down. He will humiliate us in front of our friends. He will humiliate us in front of our family. He'll humiliate us in front of our work. Uh, if you go to church, he'll humiliate you in front of the church. In fact, many people are cast out of the church, hunty, for their sin. But not Jesus. He won't humiliate you. He won't cast you out. He'll defend you. And he's defending the woman. Like I said at the beginning of this Bible study, she
3: could not have been in a safer place. Hmm. Okay, Hundy, go on. Okay. So. Verse 9. i just finished verse 9. Yeah. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle hey, of the crowd with the woman.
2: Why, why, why the oldest? Why do you think the oldest went first? I Hunter? guess they had more sins. <laughs>
3: no, <laughs> no, I never thought of that. Wait, the maybe, one? maybe. You're the, you're the pastor, educate me.
2: I just, no, I don't have a good answer.
3: I, my, I was just asking, <laughs> they had more sins. That's a good what one. Well, more <laughs> sins, they had committed more wrongs, knew instantly what Jesus was writing in the sand probably was about them.
2: With age comes a bit of wisdom too. Uh, and
3: there you go, age and wisdom, that's yeah, right. They got it.
2: The young guys never got it. And they start to slip away. Yep. Uh, so and Jesus, that's what happens as Jesus defends you. Yep. Your accusers will slip away, and you're left then eventually with no one but you and Jesus. That's and that's right. a sweet, sweet place to be yep. when you've been caught yep. in sin.
3: Yep. Yep. So Jesus was left alone with the woman. The crowd had all gone. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman... Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Don't you love that? Now, that's the safety line. Jesus does
2: not condemn you. He forgives you. He heals you. He accepts you. He wants you. He loves you. Mm -hmm. And then he says, go, go and sin no more.
5: I was working in town one afternoon Attending some business affairs I heard a commotion a couple streets over And wondered what's happening there A young man was running from in that direction And stopped just to catch his breath I asked him to please tell me what was the hurry. He smiled up at me and he said, I was trying to catch the crippled man. Did he run past this way? He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And the deaf girl he's leaving to answer God's call It's hard to believe, but if you don't trust me Ask the blind man, he saw it all Ask the blind man, he saw it all That's what the Lord Jesus can do, folks. My friend, The troubles and burdens you carry Are heavy and dragging you down You've tried everything you can possibly think of But there's no relief to be found That very same Jesus that altered the future Of a blind man, the deaf and the lame Is still reaching out in your hour of trouble touch and you're never the same. You'll be trying to catch the crippled man in here and this way. He was rushing home to tell everyone what Jesus did today. And Myself and the deaf girl he's leaving To answer God's call It's hard to believe But if you don't trust me Ask the blind man, he saw it all
2: And the wonder of Jesus everywhere He went healing blind man forgiving sinners raising the dead very very special man more than a man Jesus was God and if we could come to grips with the reality of that we would find forgiveness in our lives as well Jesus. The forgiver of sins Um, This is a testimony Of a Jewish man of all And you might wonder why I have So many testimonies of Jewish people Coming to Christ, well because I watch Regularly on YouTube a, A channel called One for Israel And it's dedicated to bringing Jews to Christ and their Stories are amazing and I get All Warm and excited to hear Them and I'm hoping you kind of get a sense of how special it is to make a decision to follow Jesus and maybe you would consider doing what this man did
8: I mean I heard about some of these these guys like John the Baptist he's a Baptist I found out later on he's Jewish St. Paul Jewish yeah Jewish St. Peter how can anybody by the name of St. Peter be Jewish Guess what I found out they're all Jewish now, I grew up in Philadelphia in a Jewish neighborhood on the other side of the street. That was mostly Gentiles. These poor Gentiles, they want to worship a statue. Some of those people had statues in their lawns. At the age of eight years old, I joined the Cub Scouts, which is part of the Boy Scouts. They had a they have, they still probably have this today, a, a magazine. It's called Boys Life Magazine. And in that magazine, they had the instructions on how to build a crystal radio. I was so excited, it was it was like I was in heaven with this radio that worked. I would rush home from school and put on the earphones, and I was hearing these people talking about Jesus on the short wave, they were like. In the name of Jesus. The same time I was preparing for my bar mitzvah, and my rabbi told me, never believe in Jesus, and never read the New Testament, that's a Gentile book, and Jesus is for the Gentiles. I joined the Navy in 1960 and wound up in a a drill hall with 400 guys. Now, this is the first time in my life I was ever away from my mother and father. They taught me how to smoke a cigarette. Uh, You know, oh, I was coughing like crazy. They said, real sailors drink whiskey, and that was burning my throat. I did it because I wanted to be a real sailor. I wound up getting drunk every night, wound up going out with with women that I shouldn't be doing. Sometime, deep down inside of me, I was saying, man, This doesn't feel right. Something's wrong here. This doesn't seem right. You see, when you join the Navy, I don't know if they do this today anymore, but this was back in 1960. We were naked and had our hair shaved, and then we went through the line to get our uniforms and stuff. At the end of the line, they said Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish. So they gave you a Bible. I had my Tanakh. I had my little, my Jewish scriptures. I don't know what you do with the Bible. I thought, you know, it might be like a rabbit's foot, good luck charm, or maybe it'd be like my grandmother's chicken soup. Anytime I was sick, my grandmother said, have some matzo ball soup, have some chicken soup. It'll, I said, will it help? She said, it couldn't hide, you know. I said, well, i have a Bible. Will it help? Well, couldn't hide, you know. Uh, one of the sailors uh, that I was with in the Navy said to me, you're Jewish, right? I said, yeah. Do you have a Bible? I said, sure, I have a Bible. They gave it to me when I joined the Navy. He said, let me see your Bible. And he turned in my Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. He said, here, read this. I read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53. I said, wait a minute. This sounds like those folks across the street. This sounds like the Gentiles. This sounds like what I was hearing on the shortwave. They made a mistake. They gave me New Testament. And my rabbi told me never read the New Testament. You better take this because this is for you. This is not my Bible. So no, no, look, Hebrew publishing company. <gasps> Hebrew publishing company. What's, this is crazy. What's Jesus doing in my Bible? He said, well, he's your Messiah. He's my Messiah. Uh, I. I was shocked, and he said, would you like to read about that in the New Testament? I said, "Uh, well, I can't read the New Testament because my rabbi told me never read uh, the New Testament. And he looked around over here, and he looked over here, and he says, I'll make a deal with you. If you don't tell your rabbi that you read the New Testament, I won't tell him either. I thought about that for a minute. Okay, but I was scared. I thought lightning was gonna strike me. I actually thought I was gonna be struck by lightning. I expected it to be a Gentile book. I expected it to take place in Rome with a bunch of popes talking about Catholic things and statues. What surprised me is how Jewish the New Testament really is. It's the most Jewish book I ever read. The more I I read the scriptures, the more I I was, was praying, I realized that inside I was not, not clean. Inside, I had all kinds of anger. I was getting drunk every night. I was going with the women. I was smoking three packs of unfiltered poem all a day, coughing like crazy. I was making pretend like I enjoyed it. I didn't want to make pretend anymore. I didn't want to live that way anymore. Now it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm in the barracks, big barracks. And I had a blanket all the way over, and and the light was shining on the New Testament, and I I prayed, you know, Baruch Elohim Lord Jesus, I'm here, I want to believe in you, and I went to bed. May sixteenth, nineteen sixty one, came to faith in the Messiah. That's just so important in my life. It's it's a. A, a, a moment that totally, completely changed the revolution of my life. Even if I was the very last person on earth, Jesus would still have died for me.
5: We love you, we lift your name in all the earth, may your kingdom
0: be established
5: in our praises,
6: as your people
5: declare your
0: mighty
6: words, blessed be of Lord.
3: time for my favourite segment, Ask the Aussie Pastor. Are you ready mate? I'm always ready. Okay. <laughs> mate. <laughs> That's not true. Feel the heat. Someone, I shouldn't Someone's say pulled that. out a big magnifying glass. that must have been listening to your early message. Yeah, okay. Okay. Does yeah. the Christian church concentrate too much on LGBT to the exclusion of other moral failures? Adultery, fornication, child abuse, etc.
2: Um, no. I don't think so. Um, I think the church has been pretty quiet on it, actually. To be honest. Um,
3: well, I've never heard
2: a sermon against child abusers. Well, you have because I've preached it. I oh, have you? Yeah. <laughs> I take that back. So you have. <laughs> um, and I think the church has been very forthright in its pronouncements on child abuse. Very forthright. Um, some of the churches, not our one, uh, but some of the churches were taken to the Royal Commission. Uh, I think all the churches have learned some pretty important lessons in that on how to deal with it. I know our own church has. And um, I, I think we've been very forthright um, on marriage in the Bible, what the Bible says about marriage, that it's between one man and one woman. that It's the Bible. That's the Bible directive, not not ours and not even the Christian churches. It's, it's what the Bible says. Now, I recognize people have a right not to or to, but it's biblical, and I think the reason that there are very, there are some quarters of the church that speak up about it, I'm one of them, but not a lot. The church is actually pretty quiet about this, and I think because there's a fair bit of fear out there about what would happen and what does happen if. If you do speak up and you've got Dan Andrews in Victoria and our own Premier here in New South Wales and the other Premiers of 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 the states here in Australia and even the federal government rumbling about some... And for some of the states, it's more than rumbling about the uh, consequences... Um, mm-hmm. if, if you do speak up in the wrong way, so you 've got to be very very careful what you say but yeah no i don 't I think that where you do hear the church speaking it 's more reactive than proactive we 're reacting to what 's happening in our culture and our society and in the last fifty nine years that i 've been alive, civilization has changed hugely, so what is acceptable and what is done today and what is advanced is is not what was Done when I was a kid or, or a young man. So things have changed and the church reacts to it.
3: Hmm. Okay. Let me just give a quick plug. No, let's keep moving. We're out of time. Uh, next question. Why does God insist on demanding that we live lives of sexual purity when it's not in our nature to live like that?
2: Okay. I think that's coming directly from what <laughs> yeah, I shared absolutely. too. Absolutely. It's true that it's not our nature to be necessarily – no, it's not. Look, it's not the nature of the flesh which we're born into. It's not our default position to live the biblical standards of sexual purity. I think that would be fair to say, wouldn't it, Hunty? Sure. Whether we're talking about heterosexual or other, it's it's not. Um, I, I don't know the facts because this question's out of the blue, and I don't know the facts exactly out there in Australia, but I think you'll find that most – Heterosexual couples do live together before they're they're married, if they ever get married, and that's certainly not the biblical way. That's not how God said it was to happen. Um, and and there's no doubt that marriage has diminished in our culture and in our civilization. But it, again, it's it's biblical, and and it, it is not our nature to to walk in the ways of God. That's why. To live a life of fidelity with one husband and one wife, male and female For a lot of people it does take discipline It's not easy and it does mean you've got to have a relationship with Christ It means you need to submit your desires and your will and your wants to Christ And as you do that and as you have a conversion experience As the Holy Spirit comes into you and he gives you the power to live like this It dawns upon you and it's an amazing thing that This is actually how you were created and designed to live and when you experience that, it brings great peace. And when you're married to one wife or one husband for a, an entire lifetime and you're able to avoid um, infidelity and in one side or another, you actually end up living a pretty happy life, mm. hunty. It's, mm. It may not be our nature. It may not be exactly what we're designed to do, but you do live a happy life.
3: mm, mm. That's okay, it. well, that's that's perfect timing. You so know I what? think we're going to sing. Well, we're going to sing. We're going to have one more song. Yep. Get the vocal band. Yep. Yes. yes, we know. Yes, we know. Something like that. <clears throat>
6: Gives you grace for every day, and I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner.
2: That's the Gaither Vocal Band. Yes, I know. That's a song we sing at church a fair bit. Yeah, we do. And if you ever want to come visit our church, Northwest Sydney, what's the address, Hunty?
3: Oh, Samuel Place, Quakers Hill, behind the Aldi.
2: Yeah, we'd love to see you there. We would. Thanks for joining us today for a different sort of a program. I hope you were challenged. I hope you felt, well, I pray you felt and experienced the Holy Spirit giving you a gentle little call. And uh I wish you all the best for this week and I look forward to seeing you at the same time, same place uh, next week. And Before I leave, I just want to pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. We're all sinners, we all fall short, we all need a saviour. We thank you, Jesus, that you are that man. Forgive us for our sins, cleanse us. I pray, Lord, for each person listening on this radio station right now that their hearts will be touched and they'll move to make a decision to follow you, the gentle saviour. This is my prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Again, thanks for joining us. My name's Lloyd Grolliman. I'm the Aussie pastor,
3: and, and I love you. my name's Hunty. I'm the man in black. I love you too. But you know what? Jesus loves you so much more. See you next time. I knew you'd get it, Hunty.
2: Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, always to support us, go to findjesus.tv.